listening to Weird, Wise, and Stupid, the podcast where nothing makes any goddamn sense. I'm your host, Bill, and sadly, we don't have the other three here. Hopefully, we'll be getting them around soon. Would be a lot interesting if they were. Um, but I have a, b- a bunch of points that I want to get to today. But uh, for now, I'll start off by introducing myself. I'm Bill. I was born in New York, or born in Connecticut, technically. Um, but I only lived there for about half a year. So I just say I was born in New York. I lived in New York for 11 years, and I've spent the past five years of my life here in Massachusetts. And so I'm, I'm going to jump straight, right into our first point, which is, oh, okay, um, whales sleeping. Um, I don't... <laughs> all right, I didn't write these points, so I've no idea how whales sleep. Let me look this up for a second. All right. And, oh, wow, okay, that's terrifying. So apparently whales sleep with their faces towards the water. I can, it just sounds awful. They only need 20 minutes of sleep and they do it staring at the sky. Like, just imagine you're a diver or something. You, you, you go uh, underwater and you see a bunch of whales just floating in a circle like, like a bunch of fucking monoliths. I would just jump out of my skin, quit my job and stay on land for the rest of my life. I already don't like the ocean. That, that place is full of stuff that I never want to meet. Anglerfish, pretty much long-arm squids, goblin sharks, everything that lives in the Mariana Trench, probably. Uh, and I definitely don't want to go anywhere near the Challenger Deep. That's just too deep for me. Um, however, I do think that it is a bit of a waste of, you know, resources and energy to, you know, be trying to leave our planet and colonize another one before we even know what's in our own oceans, you know? Like, we we only have, we've only mapped out the bottom of the sea floor with sonar. So if, if we could just do more, if we could go down there and see it, then we could bring back a whole lot of research that we never knew could be possible, you know? Um, it, it's just, you know, kind of disappointing. The, it, I mean, I was, I was born too late to explore the world and I was born too early to explore space. So I'm just stuck in the middle ground of where we're trying to figure out how to explore space. And it's kind of depressing because I mean, back in like the 1400s, you would just run off to a shipyard and start sailing. But now you need a license and everything. There's another thing, licenses. You need a license for everything. I mean, sure, there are some things that definitely should require a license, like medicine. You can't just have anyone walk into some place and say, hey, I work here now, uh, let me do surgery. No, that's not how it works. That obviously requires certification. But I mean, things uh, things like fishing, hunting, just that, that stuff that everyone can do with a limited amount of success. Like, I, I mean, it's just ridiculous. The fact that you need to have a piece of paper that says you can do a certain thing. As I said, there are things that obviously do um, require licenses, and for good reason. Water break. Like, obviously, you need a license to drive a car, because, you know, five-year-olds just can't fucking drive. (laughs) 
you need a license to do medicine, operate heavy machinery, use guns, all that good stuff. But hunting, fishing, owning a falcon for some reason, which I, I really want to do, you need a license for. And that's really disappointing to me, you know? It limits my abilities to... Um, it's sp actually, speaking of fishing, um, I read this uh, Wikipedia article um, about uh, fishing because I got bored, and that's what I do when I get bored. I read articles about fishing. Um, but uh, then I saw a link at the bottom that redirected me to another Wikipedia article about about squirrel fishing. So I looked at that and I'm like, what the fuck did I just read? Like I had to double check if to see if I actually read that correctly. And nope, I did. And it said squirrel fishing. So obviously, as, as anyone would do, it piqued my interest. I uh, started reading it and it, it's a thing. Squirrel fishing is real. You take a, a stick and a piece of fishing line and tie a peanut to the end of it. Then you fish for squirrels. Nobody knows what the hell you do when you catch a squirrel. But I, it's just, I don't understand the point. Like, sure, it would be funny, but well, let's talk about the squirrel's perspective for a second. Like, it sees a nut lying on the ground, goes to grab it, and it just gets yanked into the fucking air. It's like, yo, what the hell's going on? Why am I flying now? I, I, no, like, it's the same deal as, like, I don't know, an alien putting a 20 on the ground and a uh, human goes pick it up and gets yoinked into space. It wouldn't be enjoyable, you know? Given there are a great many things that wouldn't be that enjoyable. You mean being yanked underwater? Oh, oh my, yeah, swimming with, uh, in places with a lot of seaweed. That's another thing. Like, you, you feel the seaweed touch your legs. And you know damn well that it's just seaweed, but your mind instantly says, hey, yo, what if it was a fucking octopus? And then you start going nuts over it, you know? Like, you don't want an octopus touching your legs when you're in the water. I mean, seaweed is fine. Some of it's edible, and it doesn't bother me that much. But when it touches you without you knowing it's there, it starts to freak you out, you know? Uh, just anything touching you when you're in the water. It's not instant. Well, if it is recognizable as human, I'd still be scared. But anything touching fish, people, seaweed, any of that stuff, I do not want to go anywhere near in the water. It just freaks me the hell out. The same thing with heights. Um, I I just every bone in your like I uh, tried to go ziplining once, yeah, and um, I just. I, it, it was fun, I'll give you that. But uh, there, and there's this point where you hook into like an auto belayer, which is essentially a belaying in, is a rock climbing thing in which you, uh, for those who don't know, get strapped into uh, the harness um, and you're pulled up with knots. Um, the guy in the bottom is called the belayer. So we have machines that automatically belay for you. Um, and so... I, I hooked myself up to the auto belayer, um, and I was supposed to jump off of a platform that was about, like, uh, 40, 50 feet up. Every bone in my body is saying, hey, yo, dude, if you jump, you're gonna fucking die. Um, 
And, you know, it's human instinct. It's a good thing to have, that voice that tells you not to do stupid shit. But when you're trying to have a good time rock climbing or zip lining or something, it's not a good sense to have. Um, so at um, I spent what my friends tell me is two, like 10 minutes, but it felt like an hour um, standing up there. Um, people uh, obviously doing what you'd expect, ca counting down three, two, one, expecting me to jump. And I always tried to, but I'm like, ooh, and stepped back again. Um, and it was only at the point where um, the, in, in this uh, big guy called Clayton um, said, did he come up there and throw me off that I actually decided to be a fucking man and do it? So... I learned that day that the best way to do something that you're afraid of is to just do it. And apparently the Marines agree uh, that every second you hesitate, it just makes the t it just makes it harder to do. It makes it worse. And so if you're if you're rock climbing and you get, and you gotta jump 50 feet down in a harness, just close your eyes, run up and do it, and you'll find that it's really safe and really fun. Um, that rock climbing trip was something else, though. Like a combination of rock and climbing, zip lines, it it was great. Um, did it with uh with Troop Forty Nine Kingston. Shout out to you guys. Um, and we just spent the uh m most of the day there, uh, rock climbing. Um, and it was a combination of absolutely terrifying. And one of the best experiences of my life. And a lot of my ego, my good experiences came from scouting, actually. Water break. Uh, the first year that I moved here um, and changed to Troop 49. I, th I think it was the first, maybe the second year. I, I don't know. Uh, one of the two. Um, we, uh, we went whitewater rafting. Um, and there... It just, it's just amazing getting in uh, an inflatable boat with a bunch of people and, you know, going over waterfalls, which sounds really, really fucking dangerous. And it probably was, but it was awesome. We had the, the we always have a guy that, uh, that takes pictures for, uh, for, for the Troop website, um, along with us. This, uh, this dude came with like a one person kayak. And started doing barrel rolls and shit. Like I, I just, I couldn't believe him. Like, he, he has, he has balls that I will never have in my life. It's just impressive seeing somebody with seemingly no instinct for self-preservation being able to go in and do things like that. And, you know, it's the, I that that's the same reason that I admire uh, the U.S. Army and any army to be really not just the U.S. Army that. The people have the guts, the will to go out and fight for their country, knowing that they're putting their life on the line, that they can go in there and just, it's amazing. They, they're the brave, they, any army, any soldier, any veteran out there is, they're one of the bravest people you will ever meet. I will never have enough balls to do that. And, you, you know, I wouldn't make it long in the army either because, you know, uh, if you've met me, I hate following orders. <laughs> so I'd probably get discharged within a week. 
Um, and on that uncomfortable silence, did you know that monkeys can have wars? Well, I didn't either until about an hour ago. Um, where I got bored, and as I stated earlier, started uh, browsing Wikipedia. Um, the Gambi Chimpanzee War was a violent conflict between, between two communities of chimpanzees in Gambi Stream National Park in Tanzania between, excuse me, between the years of 1974 and 1978. The two groups were once unified in the word I can't pronounce community. By 1974, researcher Jane Goodall noticed the community splintering. Over a span of eight months, a large party of chimpanzees had separated themselves in the southern area of what name I can't pronounce and were renamed the name I can't pronounce community. You know what? I'm just going to re rename the name I can't pronounce community to, uh, to Monkey Tribe 2. Uh, the separatists consist, it consisted of six adult males and three adult females. Um, the, uh, the monkey tribe, too, was left with eight adult males, 12 adult females, and their young. During the four-year-long conflict, all the males of the monkey tribe, too, were killed, effectively disbanding the community. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the vic- hmm. Wait, no, the, the, I'm sorry. The, um, monkey tribe, too, wasn't the one with eight adult males and 12 females. That was uh, the Monkey Tribe 1. Um, the Monkey Tribe 2, all during the four-year-long conflict, all the males of the Monkey Tribe 2 community were killed, effectively disbanding the community. The victorious Monkey Tribe 1, I'm sorry for the misinformation, expanded into further territory, but were later repelled by another community of chimpanzees. So we can already see here how humans got their territorial and somewhat barbaric nature. Um, and so they're... Uh, and these chimpanzees um, were, I'm not sure what caused it, but I, I assume that it was either a conflict of interest or a, um, like a power thing, something. Um, but, we, but we can see that uh, one community was split into two, much like the U.S. during the Civil War, um, and started to battle. Um, and the, the separatists were uh, undefeated by the original um, uh, Monkey Tribe 1. Um, and again, parallel to the Civil War, but we're, we're not talking about the Civil War right now, we're talking about Monkey Wars. Um, so the background here. Uh, prior to the Four-Year War, before it became a national park, Gambi Stream National Park was known as Gambi Stream Research Center. The park is located in the lower region of the name I can't pronounce, Valley and it is known for its primate research opportunities first taken advantage of by researcher Jane Goodall, who served as the director of the Gombe Street National, Gombe Stream Research Center. The site itself comprised of, comprised, I'm sorry, composed of, deep, of steep slopes of open woodland rising above stream valleys lush with uh, ri <clears throat> riverine forests. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. I probably butchered it. The chimpanzees roamed across these hills in territorial communities, which divided the chimpanzees into parties, ranging from 1 to 40 members. The term 
Hmm. Monkey Tribe 1 refers to one of three areas of research in the Central Valley with... Uh, no, that's not Monkey Tribe 1. I'm sorry, these are all... Um, I, I'm going to try to pronounce them and do it horribly. The term Kasakela refers to one of three areas of research in the Central Valley, ranging from Kasakela in the north, the Kakombe, and the Mekinke to the south. Evidence of territorialism was first documented once Goodall followed the chimpanzees in their feeding situations, noticing their aggressive territorial behavior. But she did not foresee the upcoming conflict. So, to sum this all up, the, uh, the chimps um, were like uh, wandering around the, uh, the hills and forests, which sound really cozy, in um, really protective uh, communities. Uh, sort of like the Tusken Raiders in Star Wars, which we might talk about in a later episode. Um, and so we and we have uh, tribes, parties, um, ranging from one to forty members, um, and uh, in the territorialism was spotted by uh, the, um, by a researcher who um, who just shrugged it off and said, eh, that's cool, shouldn't probably keep an eye on that, but it won't become anything. And then it did. After the su succession of the Monkey Tribe 2 community, the, or, you know what, let's, let's use by his name, the Kasakela community, the newly formed uh, Kahama were led by brother duo Hugh and Charlie, with the other males being Godi, Day, Godi, Day, Goliath, and the young Sniff. That's a weird name. The Kasakela males consisted of Figan, Satan, Sherry, Everett, Rodolph, Jomeo, and Humphrey. So, <laughs> let, let, let me sum up these names for you. Um, Hugh, Charlie, Godie, Day, Goliath, Sniff. Figgin, Satan, Sherry, Everett, Rodolph, Jomeo, and Humphrey. So I think we can all see the names that I'm laughing at here. Goliath, Sniff, and Satan. I... <laughs> I'm sorry. Who names a child Sniff? That seems like an insult. Water break. So, Goliath, Sniff, Satan, and... Well, Humphrey is actually a pretty cute name. Um, and so, the, uh, the Kahama were, uh, were led by Hugh and Charlie, with uh, the other, other males um, being uh, Ngodi, Day, Goliath, and Sniff. Uh, the Kasakela males were Finnegan, Satan, Sherry, Everett, Ru Rodolph, J Jomeo, and Humphrey. The actual war um, is, is explained in the next section here. I'll, I'll link the uh, the Wikipedia article, excuse me, to uh, in the description to anyone who wants to read it without being confused as to what the hell's going on. 
first blood was drawn by the Casacela community on January 7th, 1974, when a party of six adult Casacela males consisting of Humphrey, Finnegan, Jomeo, Sherry, Everett, and Rodolph ambushed the isolated Kahama male Godi while he was feeding on a tree. This was the first time that any of the chimpanzees had been observed to deliberately kill a fellow male. After they had slain Godi, the victorious chimpanzees celebrated boisterously, throwing and dragging branches with hoots and screams. And so, um, the uh, first blood, um, so first kill of the war, um, was uh, drawn by the Kasakela on January 7th in 1974, which isn't that far from my birthday. Uh, my birthday is January 6th. Um, so six males uh, from from the Kazakela um, that that uh, that killed the only other one was Humphrey Finnegan Jomeo Sherry Everett and Rudolph. Uh, the Kahama victim was uh, uh, was the male Godi. So uh, Humphrey Finnegan Jomeo Sherry Everett and Rudolph um, ambushed Godi while he was eating, and then proceeded to essentially dance on his grave. Um, which is pretty disrespectful, but I can get behind monkey parties though, like waving branches around and screaming. That sounds like something I would love to do. If I can, if I can live around somewhere with monkeys, I'm definitely going to. After Goaty fell, Day was taken out next, and then Hugh. Later came the elderly Goliath. Throughout the year, if, no, th not the year. Throughout the war, Goliath had been relatively friendly with the Casacela neighbors when encounters occurred. However, his kindness was not reciprocated, and he was killed. Only three Kahama males remained. Charlie, Sniff, and Willy Wally. Okay, we never heard of Willy Wally. Where did he come from? Who was crippled from polio. Oh, that's nasty. Without a chance to strike back... Oh, I'm sorry for bumping the mic, guys. That made a really loud noise. Without a chance to strike back, Charlie was killed next. After his death, Willy Wally disappeared and was never found. Rest his soul. The last remaining incasicate... Not Kasakela, Kahama male, the young Sniff, survived for over a year. For some time, it seemed as if he might escape into a new community or be welcomed back by the Kasakelas, but this did not occur. Sniff, too, fell to the Kasakela warband. Of the females from Kahama, one was killed, two went missing, and three were beaten and kidnapped by the Kasakela males. The Kasakela then succeeded in taking over the Kahama's former territory. And so, um, after Godi was killed, uh, Day and Hugh were killed next. Um, Goliath, uh, was, uh, was also killed, um, but he did extend an olive branch to the Kasakela whenever, uh, whenever he could. So they, they, they come around to, um, to kill some guys, and Goliath's just there telling them stories like Mr. Hippo, um, and then they're like, hey man, you're cool? But now we're going to fucking kill you anyway. Um, uh, so after that happened, three males remained. Charlie, Sniff, and Willy Wally. Willy Wally had polio. Poor guy. Um, and so uh, after all those guys um, died, Sniff was the last guy. He survived for a year. Um, but rather than, than being welcomed into another tribe, he was killed by the Kasakela. Um, the females from Kahama... Uh, one died, two went missing, and three were beaten and kid kidnapped by the males. 
uh, of the Kasakela tribe. And then the Kasakelas then took over the Kahama's territory. So they, um, like humans as well, the, um, the Kasakela um, didn't show much mercy, um, uh, took over some territory and prisoners of war. These territorial gains were not permanent. However, with uh, the Kahama gone, the Kasakela territory now butted up directly against the territory of another chimpanzee community called the Kalande. Kalande. Cowed by the superior strength and number of the Kalande, as well as a few violent skirmishes along their border, the Kasakela quickly gave up much of their territory. Furthermore, when they moved back northward, the Kasakela were harassed by Mitumba foragers, who also outnumbered the Kasakela community. Eventually, hostilities died down, and the regular order of things was restored. Water break. So the Kasakela um, uh, took the Kahama's territory. My apologies. They took the Kahama's territory, um, but uh, they um, were uh, uh, then right up against the borders of another um, tribe called Matumba. Um, and they, wait, no, not Matumba, uh, the, hmm, the Kalande. So, uh, the Kalande didn't like them being around, um, and they had a lot of guys behind them. Um, and so, uh, a few violent skirmishes, uh, were, they were put up and, like, they, they fought a lot with a lot of blood, probably. I did, I would not want to see that. So the Kasakela, um, were like, all right, dude, you win, you can have that shit. We don't want it. So they and they gave up that uh, that new territory, and when they moved back northward, the Kazakela were just freaking harassed by foragers from the Matumba tribe, who also outnumbered the Kazakela. However, after a while, um, and just the violence and fighting just died down a bit, and order was back in place. So, uh, the uh, there were effects on the. Uh, on the researchers as well, right? and not just the uh, the monkeys community. So uh, the outbreak of the war came as a disturbing shock to Goodall, who had previously considered chimpanzees to be, although similar to human beings, rather nicer in, in, in their behavior. Coupled with the observation in 1975 of cannibalistic infanticide, oh dear, by a high-ranking female in the community, the violence of the Gumby War first revealed to Goodall the dark side of chimpanzee behavior. She was profoundly disturbed by this revelation. In her 1990 memoir, Through a Window, My 30 Years with the Chimpanzees of Gombe, she wrote, For several years, I struggled to come to terms with this new knowledge. Often when I, I woke up in the night with horrific pictures spreading unbidden into my mind, Satan, one of the young apes, cupping his hand below Smith's chin to drink the blood that welled up from a great... You know, okay, you know what? No, I'm not going to read the rest. You can read it if you want to. That's just disturbing. Um, so that is the Gombe Chimpanzee War for you. And it looks like we are out of time for today. Thank you for tuning in to Weird, Wise, and Stupid for the first episode. If you, uh, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Um, we always love new listeners. Um, we, uh, we, and we thank you for, again, listening in again. Sorry for all the water breaks and mic bumps. Um, 
and I'll uh I'll try to upload some some more episodes, preferably with other people around. Um, later, maybe uh next week or later this week. Th uh, again, thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. I'm sorry. One more thing before I go, if you want, um, if you're listening on Spotify, you can uh, leave us an audio message, and uh, we'll try to feature it in the next episode. So, anyway, sorry, I forgot about that little bit of information. Now, I'm signing off. I'll see you guys later.